This is Brian Croft. Welcome to another edition of Trench Talk, the podcast of Practical Shepherding. And I'm joined once again with Jim Sebastio, and we're going to get started here in just a moment. Before we do that, I just want to direct your attention to sponsorapastor.org. Uh, it's a way to help uh, support our ministry, see all the things that we're doing, a way to even support someone in particular uh, in the ways that we care for them. So go check that out. There's a video there that you can learn more about the ministry, <clears throat> as well as just go to Practical Shepherding. Dot com and you can access all of our resources and see all the things that's happening with the ministry. You can also leave a review on iTunes or Spotify hmm. or whatever you listen to this. We and do check. anybody does. We do. We do check those. You can. Hurt their uh, feelings. You can. Uh, and, and Jim waits with bated breath, waiting for the next review to come. So <laughs> be that for him today, if you would. No, no we'll, we'll check the reviews. My whole sense of self is <laughs> that's right. It is this. wrapped up in that. No, so feel free to leave a review for us. We do we do appreciate your feedback, especially you can reach us on social media. And we do put out there we want to put the we want to cover the topics that will be helpful to you. So feel free to write us. You can go to the contact page at the website, you can go to social media and find both of us. And feel free to to let us know a topic you would like for us to cover. Uh today is a topic that somebody has asked us to cover and and we, it's a good one. So we wanna we wanna be able to tackle it and it's something that I don't think we have we have ever really covered. And, and this is a relevant conversation to have. And that is, what happens when a pastor changes in some kind of doctrinal conviction or belief that he has? And so, mm. you know, one of the things that, uh, one of the things that where this will show up most definitely is when a pastor goes in one place and stays a long time. You know, just in case you didn't know this, we're all a work in progress. We're all learning. Uh, the Lord is not done with any of us. And I just would like to warn the 25-year-old pastors out there who think they maybe have it all figured out is you will probably change on some of your deepest convictions. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, have watched, I have watched friends of mine who are some of the most obnoxiously d- uh, committed to Baptist polity uh, who are now Anglicans. So just be careful on how hardcore we are about different things because that's what we want to we talk about. But here's the, the thing we're going to talk about specifically today. How does this happen? And what are the implications of it? So your past, so the idea is you're pastoring a church, and you know, like all of us, you continue to learn, you continue to be shaped and molded into your doctrinal beliefs as you continue to read the word and and be challenged to meet other people who make strong arguments about different things. What do you do? You find yourself pastoring a church that you doctrinally aligned with when you went there, but maybe ten years later or fifteen mm. years later, right? You have changed on something just because it's just how it works. That that we can, as we're being shaped and molded by the Word and by the Spirit and and others who challenge us and teach us things. So that's what we want to talk about today, Jim. What what is it? What what do we have as far as a, a text we can think about that help give us a category for what we're talking about here? Well, there's a couple things come to mind here, Brian. Real and there's some tension here in regard to this because we have to begin by establishing that doctrine is really incredibly important. I mean, I don't know how to say that in a way that that uh, doesn't sound. I I don't want to minimize at all the reality of doctrine. Hold fast to the you know sound words as you've been taught. Yeah. And I teach them sound doctrine, which leads to sound living. Uh, the scriptures are given for doctrine, for reproof, for correction. Second uh, Timothy chapter 4, I charge you before uh, God and the Lord Jesus will judge the living and the dead, preach the word, be ready in season, out of season. You know, you have to, uh, people don't want sound doctrine. You have to, you have to give them sound doctrine. So I think we have to, you know, establish first of all, doctrine really does matter. And in, in, in choosing a church, um, you know, what kind of church you're going to go to, 
that we live in a, a in an age that's kind of doctrinally minimalistic that's changed that has changed somewhat in the last 30 years uh, but churches that have a very brief uh, confession or statement of faith it might just be five or six points and it's very malleable uh, you may be at a church that has a very broad doctrinal statement uh, uh, what used to, what at least in England used to be called a union church that would allow both Baptists and Pado Baptists to right. be able to serve there right where eschatology didn't really matter those churches exist here in the states they exist here too yeah. so so doctrine matters I think Brian we also need very quickly before we get into the meat and potatoes of this establish the difference between a, a common understanding of primary doctrines versus yep. secondary and tertiary yep. doctrine. And uh, there's a recent book on, you know, finding the right hills to die on and this whole thing of what's called theological triage, which I think is an important matter. If so, if your change of theology is that you no longer believe in the sufficiency of Scripture, or the inspiration of the Scripture, or the virgin birth, or the blood atonement, or resurrection, or, 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 or yeah. you know, or, or you know, any you know, the resurrection of Jesus, you're not a Christian. You know, you you have apostatized, and I think you need to make that very clear. That's that's not you know. So you 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 might, if you lead your church into that. You're in the hottest place of hell, basically, is what mm-hmm. I'm saying. That, that, that's that's damning. You're, 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 jam- you're acknowledging you, the obvious. Yeah, starting. So there, I yeah. just what I do want to say that yeah. you, you're in grave danger of leading people because you know not just yourself, but leading others, yeah, blind if, guides who lead others. If you apostatize, do everybody a favor and just like leave, yeah, leave, the resign, and, yeah, just let, admit yeah. what you are. You're not a Christian. That's, so yeah, that's so I think I think it's fair. So all right, so. But what do you do when you have you, you've changed? Uh, you were just to give. When we're going to get into some of these in a minute. But let's say you you were you were reformed and you 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 don't hold to that anymore, or you weren't and now you are. And your church took you in one way with a common understanding, and perhaps even in your ordination vows, you made a a promise that you held to a doctrinal statement. Right. And I think that that sets the bar in a different way than you going into a church with a very minimalistic doctrinal statement and, and you came in and everybody knew you were kind of one way and they're listening to you preach and they're understanding who you're quoting or what books you're reading or what conferences you're going to or what begins to come out in your teaching and preaching that that oh you you you've changed but it's okay within the framework of that denomination or of that particular church. And these are different discussions that I'd want to have as yep. we as we relate to this topic. Yeah, no, that's good. And, and I think we're going to get into some of the just categories of things. But there's also a line to try to figure out uh, when I get this question all the time when a pa- when a guy's going to interview with a church, wondering if she go pastor there. How doctrinally aligned should I be? You know, mm-hmm. here and. That's a tough question, but it's a really good one, and yep. I think it needs to be. Guys need to ask that, and and you always say a quick word on this because it's just such a common situation. Know their doctrinal statement well, like right. like if you went to church, I usually like, do you know their statement of faith well? Essentially, a lot of times they'll say, "Well, no, I haven't looked at it." It's like, "Well, just start there," you know, because right. And here's here's the rub, especially with all the revitalization work I do with dying churches and things. They'll have it. Every church has a statement of faith of some kind. I mean, you pretty much have to have one. Mm. Um, and w- start there. It's very likely that the church does not hold to a lot of the doctrines in the statement of right. faith. But the reason you start there is because it's what you can actually lead. Because if you agree with it, if you're aligned with it, 
even if they do not hold to it, it gives you a place to take them back to. And a lot of times they, they, it's a, they can't have much of an argument on why you're taking us back to this place. That was actually one of the ways I revitalized our church is, is I looked at the statement of faith and I held really closely to alignment to the doctrinal statement. Yeah. But they had had a pastor you know, align with that doctrinal statement in his preaching for 40 years. So, right. But I knew that that was one of the ways I was going to be able to, to, to turn the ship back to that place. But I also think you have to use wisdom on knowing the different categories. So if you're a Baptist and you want to go to a a, a Presbyterian, a, 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 a Pado-Baptist church, uh, for you to go there as a Baptist and, a, and think, you know, but in 10 years, I think I can make them Baptist. That's probably right. a bad idea. And <laughs> But there, are, but on, on other ends, there's, there's theological convictions. I think... So I'll give an example of one. I I think I don't believe that you know your in d- detailed end times views are helpful to put in a, in a statement of faith because I do believe that's a third tier triage of and and so but guys who go to a, a a Bible church that has really strong strict right, convictions right, right, of right, right, right. dispensationalism or whatever it might be, I would tell them, look, you know, you need to go realizing that's what you're walking into. But I I think that's something you can biblically teach on. And potentially not change their view, but just soften and help them see the triage of it. So I think that depending on the doctrinal issue, you can go in and go, you know, I'm going to just preach the Bible, and I think that they can adjust to this. But whole denominations that exist over some kind of theological conviction, for you to go into that church and think you're going to change it is usually unwise and doesn't go well. Yeah. So let's get into some of the categories of things. And I and every category we're going to hit on, I have watched pastors, faithful pastors who, who committed to the Bible, who know the word, they preach the Bible in their churches, but I just watched them, you know, we just need to acknowledge we, we're continuing to grow and learn and be taught by others and be influenced by others. And a lot of times we do not hold to every single doctrinal conviction in our, that we have in our 20s that we have in our 50s. Mm-hmm. So we just have to acknowledge that. And then we have to be mindful of how that's working. So what, let's go back and forth, Jim. What's maybe one category that you would say a pastor, while he's pastoring a church, could actually shift and change on? Well, you mentioned, Brian, you know, uh, and again, the, let me start by saying... You have to pick one, it, Jim. That's, it ha- <laughs> well, again, it depends on the situation because in some cases things are so clearly doctrinally laid out so for, let's, that doesn't so let's, mean they couldn't change on it, though. It, That's my point. It, well, but it would have to. Be, there's a difference between the pastor changing and then you know is the flock going to change? Because what's happened sometimes I've seen a pastor comes in and he changes. He changes. He changes as he's going on, and then the, the congregation is like, "Well, we didn't sign up for this, or this isn't where we were going. This isn't in keeping with our confession and our church constitution." And and yet he's got the reins. He you know he's taught on pastoral leadership, and so he he's yeah. rather than saying, "Listen, I have come to a, a, a change," and this you have to bring it to the congregation and say one of two things: either this requires that I resign, or it means I'm gonna I'm gonna lead you in this, and so those are those are two different things. And so, I, all right. So, but getting down, I'm gonna answer your question. All right. So, I have baptism down as as one okay, of my. Okay. How could somebody I, how could somebody shift on baptism? Uh, you you well you you could come to all right. So one of two things is gonna happen in that situation. I think I think well, you asked, is there a situation where you could change and and where the church might change? 
I'm trying to think, Brian, if I know of a Baptist church that became a paedo-Baptist church or a paedo-Baptist church that became a Baptist church. I know Presbyterian pastors who have become Baptists. I know Baptist pastors who well, have become But that's what we're talking about, not changing the church necessarily, but just what, what do we do? So, but that is a realistic thing that's happened that you've seen, oh, correct? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. That's what we're talking about. Right, that's right. what I mean. So, okay. Not, so I thought, I thought you were asking, all right, is there, is there a, a, a place where you could change doctrinally and maintain your leadership in that church. I'm just talking uh, about and have it move. What are categories pastors can change? Okay, okay. whether they like right, it or gotcha, not. Gotcha, gotcha. Sorry, <clears throat> and we actually talked so well. I'm, sorry. I, I'm, uh, I'm glad we did all the the, <laughs> the prepping on this. All right, so go. All what's your, what's so your category? Yes, I get yeah. All right, so baptism. Pastors can change on baptism and remain orthodox. What's what's a shift in baptism they could have? You all right? So again, mm-hmm. well, you could. You, uh, to me, you could go from a, a, a covenantal um, Presbyterian position to a credo-baptist position, that is to believe. So, or you can go from a Baptistic understanding mm-hmm. to saying, I have, I, I, I now believe, along with you know, obviously many others in church history, that, um, that, the, the, that a child born into a, a Christian family, either of, with either parents a Christian or both, certainly both parents a Christian, is a covenant child and should be treated as a covenant child. It, now, where, for some people, that therefore means conversion, that means that they're saved, that means that, you know, baptisms, you know, that to me is, yeah, pastors do change on that. I, I think that's getting into heresy. Yeah. But I don't. I don't believe pedo baptism is heresy. I think it's an error. I don't think it's a heresy. Here's here's another way I think that baptism change can happen to more subtly, in uh, in a church with a pastor. He doesn't change his baptismal convictions as far as pedo to credo, but he changes the meaning of baptism in regard to membership in the church. Okay, I have watched this yeah. happen yeah. on several yeah. occasions. Okay. So in our church, baptism as a believer by immersion is a prerequisite for membership in our in our statement right. of faith so for you know for me to ever change on that that's going to go against the statement of faith and the implication of it isn't just a doctrinal position it's what does it mean to become a member of the church so you can't you weren't able to come into our church and, and be a, a a presbyterian a or having been baptized as a child and, right you know, and right. so right but that's but here's where but, a, but here's so I'll go to another category in light of this. <clears throat> but your views on the Lord's Supper, mm-hmm. there are different views on the Lord's Supper. I watch pastors changes on this all the time. <clears throat> I I went from a moralist view of Lord's Supper mm-hmm. to a more spiritual presence of yeah. A, a, a view. Yeah, I think of, I have too. Yep. So that, that's a that's a really common move. Yep. That deter, that changes the way I I lead the Lord's Supper. Yeah, it changes the frequency of the Lord. So it changed a lot. Right. Of, so I actually made changes in our church around my my changes, really my shifts in you know, in the Lord's Supper. Now you go from memorialist position to transubstantiation. You got a whole other level of right. issues going exactly. on. So, but that's what I'm. But that's what I'm saying is that the Lord's Supper position, how you lead it, how you help people understand it, can change. But then you know, yeah, how does how does that apply to to membership, what do you do with if you're a Baptist church? What do you do with a Presbyterian that's been attending, but you don't let become a member? But is there charity and letting them come to the table at some point? So right. these are all issues I want to put out there. One that are debated all the time. Right. But two are these are issues that are very common that pastors as they wrestle doctrinally 
and pastorally with these kinds of things, they end up in different spots. And so that that is a very common way pastors can shift. And, and in some cases, I think they, they end up leading naturally leading their churches that way. Right. But in others, you have to you have to honestly, I think in integrity as a pastor, you have to look at the statement of faith of your church and function in line with it until you either feel like you need to change it, lead the church to change it, uh, or you cannot minister there anymore because you don't align with that church. And so those are those are tricky issues. That's why we're talking about these things. Okay, another another topic for you. Uh, reform theology. Uh, somebody came in. They were Arminian, and uh, and then they became Calvinistic. Yeah. Or in some cases, maybe they were staunch Calvinists and they softened. Uh, maybe they have dropped limited atonement or some other things and. Uh, have recognized that maybe it wasn't as airtight as they thought it was. Uh, that's that can happen to somebody. Yeah, that's a, uh, that's a really good one because I we see this all, all the time around, especially in the last I mean, last twenty years with uh, you know young restless <clears throat> reform movement that has has really changed the church landscape in a lot of ways. What you have now is younger pastors who are reformed theologically go into churches that are not, and or, and that that be- yeah. and that becomes tricky again. I'm. I'm not against that, by the way. I think that's one of the things that you need to that a pastor needs to be, you know, be honest about with a church to say, "Here's where I'm at on these kinds of things." And but church, this is a common thing that's taking place, and this is this is theologically where some a lot of churches are being, you know, pastors are over time are turning their churches doctrinally yeah. to align with more of those things, and, and even you might have cage stage Calvinists. To oh. a more gentle Calvinist, oh. you know, where right. the guy who went in and every every message, every other message was on one of the five points, or and if you don't believe this, I can't understand how you can be a Christian and, and all of this. And yeah. yeah, Billy Graham's going to hell, or who, you know, whatever, maybe you know, whatever name you want to throw into there, and because they're not this, and and eventually you meet some Christian who holds to something different than you, and you realize that most really is a godly person, and, and you soften. You, you may still hold to the same theology, but you hold it more graciously than you once did. That's well said. I want to actually say something in, in regard to what something you mentioned, too, and that is my hope is, is that every older pastor softens in some ways on different things, in that if you are dogmatic about things when you are young— um, whether it's doctrinally, whether it's even just methodologically, yeah. um, my hope is is that we grow wiser, we grow more gracious, and we grow more understanding at least to people we disagree with. And and I I let's put it this way: I find that in most pastors that uh, when you, you do ministry long enough, you realize the things that I mean. That's tr- certainly true for my own life. The things that I would have died on hills for twenty years ago, yeah. a lot of those things I will not die on a hill for. And yet my convictions haven't changed, but my posture with the people I disagree with have changed. Mm-hmm. And I would hope, and I think this needs to be said in this conversation, that we can disagree, even shift a bit on certain issues, but we need to be gracious with the people we disagree with and pick our battles well. What are the things we really need to stand strong on? What are the things we can agree to to disagree on with people? I heard a statement, Brian, a few years ago, and I, I kind of... Uh, I want to be careful how I say this, but you know, somebody said, you know, there's a difference between dying for your country and killing for your country, hmm. and there's a difference between dying on a hill and killing on a hill. Yeah, yeah that's what I said. And, and yeah. what I mean by that, that I, I, there are hills I will die on, but yeah. I'm not going to kill on. Yeah, 
And, and what I mean by that is I'm not gonna I'm not gonna unchristian somebody for yeah, you know what good. I mean by that yeah and, yeah and so I mean it's violent imagery it's maybe but that's I think there is a difference there. Well, we like to bring the before. violence on this podcast. We, Jim. we we do. So in light of that, bring another category. What's another? All right, category? How about politics? Uh, politics where, where you were yeah. maybe very very political moral majority, and maybe on certain issues you. You you've softened, uh, or you've recognized maybe that wasn't the place for it, and the and the church wanted it. They wanted the Fourth uh, of July stuff. You they wanted uh, patriotic songs sung in worship services. Um, uh, have your American flag up on your pulpit or behind your pulpit, and you began to realize I'm not. I don't want to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I want to just preach the word. I, I want to. Uh, while I am here, I'm going to be here. But but you know, I I I I've, there's a difference between interpreting the Bible as an American and applying it as an American. Sure, sure. And too often there are pastors who interpret, not just apply it as an American, they interpret it as an American. Yeah, yeah. And and I realized some years ago, I thought, okay, well, how would I? What does this text means? What it means everywhere in the world. It means it in Singapore. It means it in Vietnam. It means it in Russia. I cannot. I cannot interpret it differently. I. I, I may apply it. Romans thirteen has a different application, I think, in an American context than it mm-hmm. does in Cuba. Yeah. Yeah. But it still means what it means in Cuba as well as in America. And so I, I yeah, think that may be you know yeah. something like that. Here's another one that I think is really common shifts pastors make in their ministries is one of polity, church structure of mm-hmm. leadership. Mm. So I have watched pastors go both ways on this. I've watched pastors go from like a an elder-ruled church. That was their conviction, and they went into an elder-ruled church. And they, over time, believed that the congregation actually needs to have some authority mm-hmm. and decision-making po- uh, a power and authority in the church. And they, they try to figure out how to move their church that way. They become convicted around those things. Then I watched the opposite happen. Mm-hmm. I watched pastors go into a congregational church, and and of course both these churches in an unhealthy context are a disaster. Mm-hmm. And so you go into a congregational church that's unhealthy. One pa- a lot of pastors conclude that you know this they haven't seen it in a healthy manner, so they think this is just bad. This is is unbiblical mm-hmm. and also just practically unhelpful. We're gonna we're gonna make a we're gonna turn and go move elder ruled and take the authority away from the congregation. And I've watched both those things happen. It's almost like pastor, it's part of their solution on dealing with the dysfunction that they see in the church. Right. And I've watched guys shift in that way. And, and of course, one of two things happens. They either try to turn their church that way, how that goes, or some of them believe that, you know, I, I don't feel like I can turn the church that way, but I actually need to go find a church that I can lead and align with more. But that is a, you know, that is a really common one, as both of us know, because that issue, there's... There's tons of alignment on so much around yeah. the difference of those two things. So those are the guys we're in. We're, a lot of times we're doing ministry together. We're in fellowship together. We can plant churches together, right? And, uh, because it's not that far off. When in a healthy context, and I'm convinced, an elder ruled church and an elderly congregational church, when they function in a healthy way, function very similarly. Right. So I think that's I one that can shift. What's another one for you? Uh, gifts of the Spirit. Okay. Yeah. Um, I've seen guys. Uh, I've known guys who uh, were once. Well, one of my fellow pastors was. There you go. Part of a charismatic uh, congregation in the past, and and with some really 
odd applications of that uh, he would regard now as very legalistic and and and, uh, and, and whatnot but he was in that uh, somebody gave him um, a Puritan book and that was the beginning of the end of his um, years of being a charismatic mm. uh, then other guys uh, who were cessationist uh, and yeah, I've watched have, the other way too you know, yep. have uh, had an experience maybe or watched an experience and that changed how they interpreted the scriptures and uh, and they've, they've changed on that. Let's take a moment on that one too because there's tons of implications of just church life and how that pastor would lead a church mm. if he goes from a cessationist perspective oh, yeah. to a more continuationist perspective. You got, I mean, just not just what's preached from the Bible, but you know, what preaching and teaching in the church Probably that the music in that service and how the worship service is, is going to change pretty significantly. Yeah, you can have open prophecy time and, well, and what, like I, I've known be, places you know? that do that. You yeah, know, whatever it might o- be. Open mic time for You're going to start singing different yeah. songs. You're going to start, do, I mean, it's just. Right, right. The, so there, I think that's one thing we just want to highlight with these areas. This isn't just for, this isn't just for debate and theoretical. Like when a pastor changes on these different issues and a church brought them in thinking they believed one thing. There are massive implications on what can happen in a church around this. Well, we should, Brian. Music. Was, you know, we talk about. You know, you want to talk about some some big changes that have come about. You know, the whole what we call the worship wars and yeah, right, and uh, right. and the bringing in of different styles. I mean, you take almost any American who went to church in 1950 and drop him into a contemporary environment. He's probably not going to know what's going. Almost That's in probably any true. congregation. <laughs> Where there was a choir or a piano or an organ, and now there's you know how how people dress, how they sing, what they sing, yeah, what they don't sing, uh, all of that. Those have been some big changes yeah. in, in churches right. that have been led from the top down. Yeah. Uh, last category for me, I, I think I think this is very relevant today is, is women in ministry and the different positions that 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 a lot of more a lot more conversations around this are happening. Yeah. And so a pastor who, just for example, a pastor who goes from maybe a pretty hardcore, strict, you know, kind of men only publicly leading in that way, and he shifts to that there there are roles that women can play in in leading publicly, or even shifting to where women, you know, you go from a complementarian position to where women can be pastors in the church. That's that's a significant shift, and that will change the life of a church pretty significantly. I want to I want to share personal testimony on this r- briefly. Is that uh, I I shifted in a way on this in my ministry. I went from pretty hardcore about men only leading publicly mm-hmm. and all those kinds of things, and I shifted. I, I I'm still complementarian, but I shifted in when I I realized that I was not helping women uh, be able to to serve in certain ways in the church. That as I just through the years studied and prayed and read my Bible and talked to others, I started to see there are ways I think women could uh, help in the church and serve and lead in, in, even in the church and still and still maintain a complementarian position of male-only pastors and, and those kinds of things. Last four or five years of my ministry, I actually shifted in trying the implication. So my doctrinal position didn't change, I would say, at all. But the implication of that, how actually, you applied it, actually how to apply it, changed. So I want to use that as the last example for the categories because I think a lot of these categories, as we're throwing these out there, there, there are there's a question of are you doctrinally changing on anything? You may not, but how you apply what you believe in that context 
could actually change the life of the church. And I think you have to be mindful of, you actually can maintain the same doctrinal position and and realize you might lead the church in a different way as you come to a different understanding of that same. That's happening all the time. I would almost say, look, expect, if you're going to be in ministry any length of time, that's actually going to happen to all of us. That's okay. You need to be thinking about the implications of it in your church, but just be prepared that 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 actually is going to happen. And then you need to, you need to figure out how to wisely move forward. So this is the last thing I want to do, Jim, last couple of minutes. <clears throat> Any pieces of advice for a pastor who senses he's shifting on a doctrinal position or what we just said, he's shifting and maybe how he wants to apply a doctrinal position that he still holds to. What kind of just advice would you give him to be wise about how to do that in his church? Yeah. All right. So yeah. So let's get into this wisdom aspect. So what does wisdom look like? So wisdom looks like yeah, you need to recognize you're not the end all of all doctrinal wisdom. That that somebody has thought through some of these things before, and and, and so you think to yourself, uh, I was a Baptist, now I'm a, I'm a Pado Baptist. But you never you ne- you never brought the the questions raised from your Pado Baptist reading to a strong theological Baptist, for instance, and say, Hey, how do you answer this? So allow your position to be critiqued by other people. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I think have some. That's good. Uh, talk to older people in the congregation and to say, I'm thinking about, you know, I, I don't think this is so much a doctrinal shift as it is a practical matter or an implementation matter. How do you think, what would be some wise ways in which to go through that? So I think talking to some people in the congregation, talking to, if you have fellow elders, you need to be open about it. You need to be open with your wife, open with your family. This shouldn't be a hidden thing that's just suddenly unveiled. Yeah. Like, ah, today I'm a, I'm a Baptist. I was a, you know, so just shock, surprise, here, here I am. Right, right. Now you, you need to have, you need to be pretty you know, and you you need to be careful in that. You got to realize that in most of these things we've talked about, obviously, good and godly people differ, and that my position may not be just as absolute airtight as I thought it was. So, open to some criticism, uh, open to review, uh, slow, but but you have to be open. You have to tell your elders you, you should not use sub- subterfuge. You should not. Um, you know, just wait for somebody to die before you spring it on them or, you know, whatever yeah, it is, yeah. or stack the deck your way or, you know, whatever else. I think you got to be able to lay, lay out a clear vision for your church as you come in and as you grow as a, as a preacher, as a man, uh, you know, whatever it is that you say, listen, um, I held at one time, you know, to, I would have I would have supported a book like John MacArthur's uh, The Gospel According to Jesus, This Lordship Salvation. Mm. I think that book fails to understand law, law gospel distinctives. Okay. And I think it's not the gospel that's being talked about there. It's discipleship and it's sanctification. So I think, you know, so I, I went from like, hey, that was a position now where you say, Listen, I, I think I was an error in, mm-hmm. in in saying this because I failed to understand really what our confession teaches and what the reformers have taught. And I understand where he's getting at with that, but yeah. I think it's not a it's it's a it, it, it leads to a dichotomy that you shouldn't have. So anyway, that can but you need to be able to openly articulate, and then you got to live with the consequences of that because it, it's either going to be this is a reformation issue or it's a resignation issue. Yeah, and that's where you need to yeah, try to good. decide. That's a good way to put it. Two pieces of advice I'll give as we wrap this up is, um, it as you come to realize you're maybe shifting on some things, you need to be patient with everybody else around you. Mm-hmm. So I can remember shifting on a few small things or softening on a few things 
there was not a full doc- doctrinal shift, but just softening on some things. And uh, realizing the ironic moment as I'm sitting with my elders, who I raised up, who I convinced of the position that I had for so long, all of a sudden I come back, I go, yeah, I think I'm, I'm shifting on this a bit. And they all look at me like, well, that's great, but I'm not, I'm not shifting. Right. That's not where I am. And, right. and I had to be patient honor. Right. That's where they were on this issue. And I actually found myself having to be patient hmm. with my own elders who, who yeah. I raised up. And, and, and so realize that everybody else had not been on the same journey you're on right. when, as you're making a ship. Piece of advice number two, let your statement of faith be your guide on how to move, how to be wise in, in applying certain things. So I remember shifting on, let me say a shift, just almost, I would say, uh, be growing compassionate towards not wanting to withhold the table from my Presbyterian brothers who might be at the church. You mm-hmm. know, they can't be members of the church. And so, but what I would always do, I would always go to our statement of faith and say, okay, here, I'm wrestling through this issue, but where, how do I need to function to really honor being the pastor of this right. church? And this is the statement of faith of this church. And so publicly, when I led and did the Lord's Supper, I did it in a way that, that consistently aligns with our statement of faith because that's where our, our people are. And I wasn't deviating from our statement of faith, but I was wrestling through a couple of things. But I always went back to that. I felt in integrity I, I had needed to lead in a way that they had committed to statement of faith and how we had led up to that point. I found that to be a helpful balance, which gave me a freedom to wrestle through some things and because I, I needed to be able to do that. And yet I needed to honor where I was. And so if I have a shift that requires me to go to the church and go, mm-hmm. okay, I'm, I am not here. And integrity, I cannot lead like this anymore. Mm-hmm. We need to have a conversation. But uh, let your statement of faith and what the church has has constituted around, let that be your guide in, in uh, how you you practically apply certain things. So, Jim, let's wrap this. A good conversation, though. So in light of this, man, pray for wisdom. We just think, man, pray for wisdom. Yeah. This stuff requires a lot of wisdom and discernment for pastors. So will you do that? Yeah. Amen. Uh, Father, thank you for your love for us, your patience with us, and Father, we all desire, every, everybody listening to this, we desire to be led into all truth, and, and Father, we recognize that we stand in a, a certain place in church history and at a certain time where there are s- sands are sifting and alliances are, are sifting and uh, th- we're being challenged, and uh, in regard to certain things, Lord, help us to be wise. Help us, Father, to be courageous in regard to those essential matters. Uh, help us, Father, to walk with charity toward those who may differ uh, from us. And give us help, Father, in our teaching and preaching and application of your word to, to honor you and honor the flock before us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.